0: Uh, It is my privilege to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Mr. Kevin Austin. He is um, part of the Northwest Conference, Mm is that right? Pacific Northwest Conference. Pacific Northwest Conference, Um, so based out of Seattle, Um, but he travels all over the country, all over the world sometimes, um, speaking about justice, and um, so he's here this morning for us. To talk to us. Huh? Great. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, you know, it's, uh, worship is the catalyst for action. We all come into this room or a room similar to this on Sunday mornings, and some of us, life is great. And for some of us, we're broken and discouraged. And then we come into a room like this, and just like you just did. We suddenly do this kind of strange thing in our society. Where else do people gather together and just start to sing? No, we start to sing. And then our focus shifts and it changes. And it becomes not just about us and how well things are going or how bad things are going, but all of a sudden it becomes more and more about God. And we join together in this great unity. And it's catalytic I have often thought that preachers, pastors, should have a track and field starting gun in their pulpit. And at the end of the, of the day, they take out their track and field starting gun, and they say, in, okay, now receive the benediction, and they pray the benediction, and they say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they shoot the gun. And everybody gets up, and they run out of the church as fast as they can, not to go home and eat, but to give away what God has given to us. Because God wants to give us all of his good gifts. The love, the joy, the hope, the peace. And people are literally dying in our neighborhoods. They're literally dying to be loved. They're literally dying for hope and for peace. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna, to you know, look at a very heavy, uh, challenging subject. And there's going to be a little bit of yuck. And then there's going to be some, some, some scripture, and there's going to be a lot of hope. And my intention is that by the end of today, that you will leave here with uh, hope, and that you'll leave here excited to be part of God's plan to help transform our society. And so we're going to speak this morning about living new futures and creating new futures. And, um, you know, at one point, scripture tells us that we were lost and we were desperate and then God came and he created a new future for us. And we have a great opportunity to then create new futures for others. So that's that's where we're going this morning. Now, just before I begin, I, I wanna just point out my, my new friend, Mark. Mark, will you just wave? I spent a whole bunch of time with Mark yesterday and Mark is the, the key leader in this area for world relief and they're doing fantastic work. And uh, so, some of the application points for today's message can just be, oh, go see Mark. Go see Mark and and, and and his team, and I know some of you are involved with, with World Relief already, so I want to point that out. This first slide that you're going to see up here is a picture that I took in, uh, in Cambodia, and uh, the screen is a little small, but I, I really like this picture. I was uh, taking a bus, and um, we stopped at a, at a bus stop, and And I got off, and I had my camera. I've got a really nice camera, and I love taking pictures. And and this picture was just perfect for me because she looked right at me. And this is a young girl in Cambodia, and she's selling duck eggs. And I took this picture, and I went on, and I did my trip. And um, this was early on in my growing awareness of what's going on in the world. And later, I reflected back on this picture, and I thought, what was she doing at the bus stop selling duck eggs. She should be in school. This girl should be in school. Why is she not in school? Where are her her parents? What is her story? What is her story? I served as a missionary in Thailand for seven years, and we lived very close to what's considered to be uh, one of the largest sex tourism spots in the world. People that look just like me, men that look just like me, that go to Thailand primarily for the sex industry, and um, I started. I wrestled with that. It's like, what's going on here? Why is it so big and so so pervasive in Thailand? And what what is my responsibility as a Christian? What's my responsibility as a free Methodist? What's my responsibility as a man? And I started to wrestle around with this issue. And what I learned was that the sex tourism, the prostitution in Thailand was one aspect of what we now call modern day slavery or human trafficking. And I started to learn some things and I wanna share those things with you and then take you on this journey with me together. Go to this next slide. I started to learn that about probably about 15 years ago, three different organizations went out to look at the issue of modern day slavery and they learned that there are approximately 27 million slaves in the world today real slaves now I want you to understand me this is not slave like conditions these are people that are held by force they're under the threat of violence they're unable to walk away they're doing things they don't want to do it's real slavery so all three of these organizations came up with roughly the same number but that was about 15 years ago we know a whole lot more now than we knew then And so some people are saying there are at least 30 million. Some people say there are at least 50 million slaves in the world today. Not just in Brazil, not just in Romania, not just in Thailand, but here in the United States. According to the U.S. State Department, at least 17,500 people are trafficked into the United States every year. Now that's a conservative number. So people are trafficked into the United States every year. And there are slaves in Spokane. There are slaves in Seattle. There are slaves in virtually every single one of our communities. And not only are there slaves, but you and I use products that are produced by slavery. Did any of you come in a car today? I bet all of you drove in a car to get here today. There are an estimated 100,000 charcoal slaves in Brazil. Slaves that are used to cut down the forest, burn the wood in this this certain kind of a hut that creates charcoal. And they use charcoal to make pig iron. And pig iron is in every single one of our automobiles. If you've eaten a Hershey's bar, you've eaten slavery. 70% of the world's chocolate comes from slave labor. And this is a timely topic for this Sunday, the Sunday before Halloween, because all over the United States, people will be eating chocolate in just a couple of days. A lot of chocolate. And, and slavery fuels the chocolate industry. And that, that gets to uh, another point here later on, but the 100,000 number up there, there are an, there are an estimated 100,000 domestic minor sex slaves in the United States. Domestic meaning they are young people under the age of 18, They're from the United States. They're domestic minor sex slaves. And in the last probably three weeks, I've been reading some information that challenges that number and says it's really probably closer to 300,000. These are young people from our communities who for whatever reason have run away from home and have ended up on the streets and have been tricked, forced, or coerced into a human trafficking situation. And the, the, one of the big things that's driving it, or the big thing that's driving it, is that according to the FBI, this is one of the largest criminal money-making activities in the world today. It's a $32 billion a year business. And, and, and that's, a, that's a lot of money. And it is a a crime against our families. It's a moral issue, but we need to think of it also. It is a business. It's a business. People are making a lot of money. This girl in this picture, I took this picture in Northern Thailand. I was visiting an organization in Northern Thailand that was rescuing children. And I learned that you can buy that girl for five U.S. dollars. For $5, you can buy a human being. And according to the FBI, there are three things in their criminal money-making activities. You know, there's drugs. You can't buy drugs for $5. And if you did, you'd have to go back and get more. You can't buy guns for $5. That's one of the other ones at the top of the list. But you can buy a human being for $5. And a human being you can keep and use for many years and create a huge amount of income. So this is a, this is a criminal money making business. And then that last stat up there is 48 hours. According to the Polaris Project, when a runaway hits the streets of some place like Seattle, or Chicago, or LA, or Spokane, we have about 48 hours to intervene before a human trafficker comes and tries to trick them, force them, or coerce them into a human trafficking situation. Now interestingly, that last number up there, 45 minutes, a couple of years ago the Seattle Police Department dressed up some very young-looking police officers in ratty jeans and t-shirts and put backpacks on them, sent them into the malls, sent them onto the streets, and all of those police officers were approached within 45 minutes by human traffickers. So this is a plague on our society. This is a significant problem, and uh, I want to bring it into the light this morning and have us us look at it. The, The key point, you can go to this next slide, but the key point, I think, theologically, is that it gets down to this question. Are people things, or are they created in the image of God? There are some people in the world that believe that other people are things to be bought and used and then thrown away. Now, this is the same evil behind domestic violence. Some men think women are just things that you can beat and abuse and yell at. This is the evil behind racism. That person isn't human. They're Burmese. That person isn't human. They're a thing. This is the evil behind pornography. Women are not things to be used. Children are not things to be used. Families are not things to be used. They are created in the image of God. And it is a sin, it is a crime to steal another person's dignity. So this is stuff that I was learning in Thailand while I was there. This is stuff I've been learning since. Uh, that, that there's this, just this incredible plague on in our society. Um, one of the books that I highly recommend is Half the Sky. And in the book Half the Sky, they make compelling a compelling argument that there are more slaves in the United States today than there were at the time of the Civil War. Now, let's, let's look at what's going on in Scripture. If you go to, this, go to this next slide, you know, I started looking at Scripture a little bit differently. You know, Joseph was the first victim of human trafficking. You know, his brothers beat him up and they sold him into slavery. That's, that's Sunday School 101, I would encourage you that when you're teaching your children this story, or you take them to see the Broadway play or whatever, you watch the movie, draw the connection that Joseph was a slave and his whole family became slaves, and there are slaves today just like there were back then. This next slide shows you that uh, you know the story. Moses came, God used Moses to free the slaves. And, and let me point out that this is the longest story in our book. Starting with Joseph, going all the way through the Exodus. This is a very long story. And the whole point of the story is that God redeems us out of slavery. God wants to free us physically, emotionally, spiritually, I was at a leading Christian college last spring, and I had about 50 bright, lovely young college students in front of me, and from Christian homes. And I said, I asked them a question: What was the day called? What what were they doing when Jesus was killed? Somebody raised their hand. They said, Good Friday. I said, Well, that's what we call it, but no, that's that's not correct. What were the Jewish people, what were Jesus' family, what were they all doing when Jesus died on a cross? And none of them could tell us. None of them could tell me on what day did Jesus die. What was the main point? It was, it was sad to me, and I go from faith community to faith community and in and out of different colleges, and a lot of people have forgotten that as this next slide shows you, that Jesus died on the very day that everybody's remembering that once they were slaves in the land of Egypt, and while while Moses liberated the slaves, the work of freedom is completed in Jesus. Jesus comes to complete this work of freedom. And I want to declare to you this morning that God wants to set you free from whatever's holding you back. Whatever shameful thing that happened to you in the past, God wants to set you free. Some of you are struggling with with finances, God wants to set you free. Some of you are struggling with sin that's just got a hold of you and God wants to set you free. Some of you men, you're struggling with pornography, God wants to set you free. Some Some of you young people, you just feel like you're trapped, like you just, you don't know, well God wants to set you free, God wants to set us free. And then the delightful thing is that then we turn around and we set other people free. Now, Scripture points this out. This next slide shows you. uh, Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. That's one verse with five very powerful action verbs. God calls us to learn, to learn about what's going on in our world, to learn about who we are in Christ, to learn about how we can help to help repair the world. God calls us to seek justice. Don't just wait for justice to come. God asks us to seek after justice. Just like I seek a good meal and I seek time to be with my family and I seek that great movie that's gonna come out in a couple months, and I'm ready. As soon as it comes out, I'm gonna go. We need to seek justice in the same way that we seek other things. And then encourage the oppressed. I love that. So many people are beat up. So many people are wounded. And you and I have this great opportunity to come alongside of people and say, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. God loves you. And and I'm I'm not gonna forsake you either. I love you too. Let's walk this road together. Encourage the oppressed. And then defend the cause of the fatherless. I just think of the, you know, there are 142 million orphans in the world today. 142 million orphans in the world today. And we need to stand in the gap, and we need to defend those orphans, whether they are the orphan in our family, the orphan across the street, or the orphan across the world. And then all of the widows. You know, there are are so many women in our world that are alone, and they are beat up, and they have little or no hope, and we have a great opportunity to come alongside of them. This this next slide uh, gives you the reference, and I love how the Holy Spirit works, that Isaiah 58 was already read this morning, part of Isaiah 58. And Isaiah likes to drill down on a couple of really key things in his his writings. He goes after the judges on a regular basis. He says, judges, quit preferring the rich. Quit preferring the rich. Go after the Go after caring for the poor. Judge fairly. And the other people that Isaiah goes after are you and I. And in Isaiah 58, he says, you seem eager to seek God, that's great. You're fasting, that's great. You're going through all these motions, okay, but you know what, those are not enough because I don't really want the motions. I don't really want you to just come into church, give your 10%, sing your song, check those things off the checklist and then go home and say, okay, I did my bit. Now I can do whatever I want Monday through Saturday. Isaiah says, no. Now in the message, Eugene Peterson translates this passage as what is true worship. True worship is feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, providing the poor wanderer with shelter, setting the oppressed free, and loving your own flesh and blood. And it's important for us to note note the grammar of this passage. It says, then, then your healing will appear. Then the light will dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you. Then I will call and the Lord will answer and say, here am I. We often wonder, uh, especially in this political season, why is it so dark? Why are there so many problems in our society? And what's the answer to that? Well, I'll just say, you know it's great to be a guest speaker in a church because I can basically say whatever I want, and then your pastors have to clean it up later. But I don't think, you know, I think voting is really important, but I am not relying on either party to fix our problems because our problems will not be fixed by politics. Our problems will not be fixed primarily through education. They will not be fixed by money they will be fixed by how you and I live our lives as we follow Jesus. And that's the point of what Isaiah is saying. We need to follow God not only in our mind and not only in our spirit, but also with our hands and our feet and our mouths. This this next slide just get a little bit theological for you, but you know when Adam and Eve disobeyed, Two things came into the world. The first one was sin, and the second one was shame. And uh, sin says, "You do a bad thing." Shame says, "You are a bad thing." Do you understand that difference? I think it's interesting that when the when Jesus was in the desert, the enemy tempted him based on his identity. He said, "If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread." That's pretty powerful. That God, you know, the, the enemy comes and he tempts us through our identity. And our identity is tied up with this very concept. That even though we have sin in our lives and we do bad things, there's, there's also the shame component where we think, Oh, I am, there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm dirty. I'm broken. I'm no good. I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. But Jesus comes to do two things. He comes to bring forgiveness and he comes to bring healing and hope. And we do a really good job of telling the left side of that story. We're sinners, God needs to forgive us, and then we're saved. But I want to encourage us to also embrace the right side of that in that there is shame in our lives and our, our identities are all messed up. And God wants to bring hope and healing into our lives. Now, the cool thing, and this is where I'm going, is that our job is not on the left side. I can't stand before you and say, brothers and sisters, I forgive your sins. That would not be appropriate. Now, if Mark and I have a fight, then I can go to Mark and I can say, please forgive me, and he'll forgive me. So there is this this element where we are agents of forgiveness. But our job is to cooperate with God and to work with God to bring hope and healing to the world. And we have been given everything we need to do exactly that. You are among the most powerful people on the planet. You can read, you've got expendable income, none of you are going hungry, none of us will be killed today because we're meeting in this church. And not only that, but we live in the power of the resurrection We have the Holy Spirit. Wow. There's nothing we can't do. Now the Free Methodist Church, and you know, sometimes I'm in Free Methodist churches and people don't know they're Free Methodists. Do you guys know you're Free Methodists? Um, This is a Free Methodist Church and the Free Methodist Church has a special preference for the poor. We empower women in leadership and we work to bring holistic freedom. And the Free Methodist Church believes in what I'm saying this morning. And in 2007, we adopted a very strong resolution against modern day slavery. And it's gonna be be hard for you to see it, but I'm gonna read it to you. It says, slavery and human trafficking in all their forms are unjust, destroy human dignity and devalue human life. We denounce and resist all forms of slavery and human trafficking, indentured servitude, trade slavery, sex slave trade, the forced sale and or transport of people, forced adoption for profit, and mail-order bride for profit in all its forms, page two, we actively oppose slavery by establishing local and global networks in conjunction with existing free Methodist ministries to combat slavery through prayer, education, advocacy, rescue, protection, rehabilitation, and the reintegration of victims and the call for application of justice and opposition to the people and organizations responsible for human trafficking. Now, they created this resolution, and then two years later, they appointed me as the point person for the denomination to end modern-day slavery. And that's a pretty audacious goal, that that's my goal. By the time I die, I want to see slavery abolished, and I want to invite you to do that with me. And, and it's delightful for me when I meet people like Mark. Yesterday we had this power meeting in the car. He almost crashed a couple times because we were just getting so excited because we came to realize that World Relief is doing some things that the Free Methodist Church can easily partner with and we can do what this very statement is saying. We can work in cooperation with other organizations and we are much bigger when we're all together and we're working together. Now, you know, this is a lot of information, but let me make it applicable. I want, you, I want to tell you about some people. This is my friend Maria, I mean Mariah, excuse me, and Mariah was five years old when she learned about human trafficking. Now, you, you might be thinking, okay, what can I do? You know, He's hammering me. He's hammering me with statistics. I'm feeling bad. He's hammering me with scripture. Okay, now what do I do? Well, Mariah was five years old when she learned about human trafficking. She did a walk with her family, and she came home and she prayed a prayer. She said, dear Jesus, thank you that I'm free to run and walk and ride my bike. And I'm sad that you're sad that there are slaves. Help me to do something. Wow, what a cool prayer. Her mom sent me that, that prayer. And I thought, oh, that's really sweet. And uh, I, was, I was a pastor at her church. And uh, a couple months later, I learned from her Sunday school teacher that every Sunday when Mariah goes to Sunday school, she gathers all of her little five- and six-year-old friends together, and they pray for the end of slavery in Sunday school. And then little Mariah was in preschool at the time, and they were learning to count to 100. Very exciting, 100 day. They just have this big party and this big celebration of 100. And the teacher asked, what would you do if I gave you $100? And little Mariah said, I would use it to free slaves. I told that story in church. You know what people started doing? They started giving little Mariah $100 bills. A month ago, I was preaching in Oroville, California. I told that story. Somebody gave me $700 and said, give this to Mariah so she can free slaves. So last fall, the upper picture, Mariah gave me her money. And I went to Cambodia, and I met with a, uh, an organization called the Garden of Hope. And they had just rescued... Sorry, I'm a crier. It's okay. It's okay. I've been told it's good. I'm to- I've been told it's good for men to cry. Um, But I met with this this organization, the Garden of Hope, and they had just rescued three eight-year-old girls out of sex slavery. And they they were telling me about their program, and they they were struggling with money, and I gave them Mariah's money. You know, little Mariah, she's changing the world. And she was five, and now she's seven. And if you meet little Mariah, she's got this power inside of her. She believes that God and one make a majority, and she's one, and she's got God, and she is gonna end modern-day slavery. This next slide shows you some other people. This is my friend, Rod Tillery. He's got the spiritual gift of beard. <laughs> Which, you know, I haven't watched baseball for a long time, but if any of you have been watching the baseball, there's a lot of beardy guys, huh? It's really kind of funny, but, um, you know there are places like cornerstone in akron ohio and they have on their on their sign it says there are more slaves today than ever do something and then my friend rod and and rachel and chris we met at mr kwan's chinese restaurant in uh, in santa cruz california and they had uh, these, these paper tablecloths on the, on the table. And we ate lunch, and then we cleared the plates, and then we drew the action plan for the church on the tablecloth. And that's what they're holding right in front of Mr. Kwan's Chinese restaurant. This small church in Santa Cruz is saying, we're going to do something, and here's some things that we're going to do. And then the, the tennis team at Spring Arbor University decided that they were going to sell concessions at their tennis games, and they were going to then give that money to free slaves. So when they, do, when they play tennis, they tell everybody, we're playing for freedom today. We're hitting balls for freedom. And if you want to support us, buy a Coke. They don't sell any chocolate, but they sell other things. And of course, one plus one then becomes many. And this next slide shows you that um, I was speaking to a youth group in Spring Arbor and uh, these 16 and 17-year-old young people, they just went crazy and they wanted to do something. So they organized a run for freedom and they had 300 people run and they raised $6,000 to end slavery. And that was the first year. The second year, they raised, uh, just this last August, they raised almost the same amount of money again. Simply by running. Simply by running little Mariah, simply by being able to count to one hundred and, and, and integrate what she 's learning into what she 's doing, all these different people, and then it 's spreading internationally the next The next slide shows you that what began with just a couple of people back in two thousand and seven is now this international team where we 've got people in India and the Philippines and Thailand and um, and you know, we've got, we're in partnership with ICCM and all sorts of different churches. And the next slide shows you that um, we've got different ministries that we've been able to, to launch because of this focus. On Freedom Sunday, the first year, we raised money to launch a Lahu hostel in northern Thailand where um, these Lahu tribal children are able to find a safe place so that they won't get trafficked. And then in India, we have an educational program, and these kids are holding us signs that say, We are not for sale. And the Free Methodist Church all over India is educating families on the dangers of human trafficking. Because we believe that people are not things. And we believe that God wants to set all of us free physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And This next slide shows you that this has evolved into what's called the set free movement and the set free movement is the free Methodist work to end modern day slavery and we partner with YWAM, we partner with world relief, we partner with not for sale, we partner with international justice mission and if you want to know, I mean, I could go on forever about all the things that you can do and you can find everything on this website and I've got the business cards in my pocket and there, are, there will be ways for you to find this website. I've got a page called 28 Things. There are 28 things you can do to end modern-day slavery. There are organizations, there are books, there are things you can download, there are projects that you can invest in. Um, it, because it's one thing to talk about it on Sunday morning, and it's another thing to go out and actually do it. Let me, go, let me unpack this just a little bit. This next slide shows you that when, when I'm talking about freedom, I'm talking about physical, emotional, and spiritual. You know, Moses, when he, when he was going to Pharaoh over and over again, over and over and over again, he said, let my people go so that they may worship me. So it's not just physical. It's also spiritual. But it's not just spiritual. It's also emotional and physical that God wants to set us free in every way. And the next slide shows you that there are three overlapping issues. There's abuse, and there's poverty, and there's human trafficking. And those three do this dance together. And uh, I would, I would uh, if I wasn't a pastor, I would bet you money that any time you find an injustice, it can lead, and often does lead, into modern day slavery. So for example, one third of all women in the United States have been sexually abused as minors. One fourth of all men in the United States have been sexually abused as minors. 95% of those prostituted were sexually abused as minors. It's a one to one correlation. What happens in our homes affects our society. What happens in the darkness affects what's going on in our society. And I would just make a bold statement. I don't believe there's any such thing as personal sin. It's not about you and God alone. Your sin affects the entire community. It's just like taking a small drop of gasoline and dropping it into a pitcher of water. And nobody may even see it. But when you and I sin in private... It affects the whole community. And so all of these things dance around and affect each other. And so it's really important for us to address both poverty, abuse, and human trafficking. And how do we do that? This next slide shows you that we need every element of society engaging. We need teachers. We need business people. We need lawyers and police officers and And doctors and we need artists and musicians and we need everybody to engage in this. And I want to show you, I want to show you how that works. I want you to skip this next slide. Skip. Okay. In the 19th century, a handful of Quakers met in an upper room and they they were praying, God, what do you want us to do about slavery? A small group, smaller than this section right here, were praying and God gave them an answer. This next slide shows you. They they were led to quit eating sugar because sugar was planted, harvested, and transported by slaves. And so they quit eating sugar, and then they told their friends to quit eating sugar, and then pretty soon it was putting pressure on the government because that was a major source of revenue for the British economy. Then an artist came along in this next picture and drew a picture of a slave ship and nobody had seen, you can go to the next one and it shows even more detail. Nobody had seen the inside of a slave ship before. They were, um, they were appalled, they were shocked, and, uh, and it woke people up. So you have people of faith who engage in business, and then an artist comes along, comes along and then the next person was William Wilberforce, who then is a parliamentarian, a law and government starts to engage. And then, the next slide, some some songwriters came along and started to write songs. So, the song we sang this morning, Amazing Grace, and can it be, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and did you know that O Holy Night, which we sing all around the world every Christmas Eve, was banned in France as an abolitionist agitator song? It was a radical song, and I want you to remember that this Christmas Eve, As you're singing and everybody's singing all around the world and we're welcoming the baby Jesus who is going to die on the very day that everybody remembers that once they were slaves in the land of Egypt. We're celebrating the Savior come and we sing the third stanza. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. It's a radical notion. It was a radical notion then. It's a radical notion now. So this this creates a movement. You can go to that next slide. This creates a movement where all of us, working together, partnering together, create change. Now, that example that I just gave you of the 19th century abolitionist movement, that took one generation to end slavery in the British Isles, to make it illegal, to break it apart. That's the goal today, in one generation, let's do it again. And it's going to begin and be primarily rooted in the faith community. And it's going to be rooted in a movement of prayer that engages business and uses the arts and uses law and government to make it happen. So that's the the Set Free movement. That's what this is all about. And I want to encourage you to find out more. We're going to have some question and answer after the service is over and uh, talk a little bit more about some things. Uh, and there are, this is just the beginning of a conversation. But I want to end with this last slide. Um, you know, mission statements are really important. If any of you are in business or probably your church has a mission statement, uh, mission statements define who we are, and what direction we're going. And in businesses, the mission statement drives all of the work. And Jesus went into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, and he gave his mission statement. And this is our mission statement. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to do five things. To proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in the context of the message this morning, I hope it's very clear to you that two of the five things are about exactly what I've been talking about today. Two of the five things in Jesus' mission statement are about setting the oppressed free. And brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit has not changed. The Holy Spirit is the same today. Today, as it was, as he was during Jesus' time. And the Spirit of the Lord is on you and I to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is on you and I to set the captives free. The Spirit of the Lord is on you and I to open the eyes of the blind and help people to see their need for God and see that God loves them and see that God wants to heal their shame and forgive their sin and make them a new creation. And to invite them to run into this glorious expanse of God's freedom. And then again, the Spirit of the Lord is on you and I to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And then wouldn't it be great if 2012 and 2013 were the favorable year of the Lord for Spokane? Where the Holy Spirit working with us and with other Christians and other believers in Spokane that the spirit of the Lord was with us and we were going out and we were living and we were breathing and we were speaking and all of a sudden crime starts to decrease and young people feel safer and there's less vulnerability and domestic violence starts to decrease and all these refugees that are coming in have people to pick them up at the airport and take care of them for three months. And we see slavery addressed. And we see alcoholism decreasing. And we see this this spirit that just comes over Spokane. The Holy Spirit comes over Spokane and starts infiltrating and and moving in the whole society. It's going to happen as you and I live in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection. And as we are walking with Jesus and Jesus works In us and through us to bring this transformation to our society it's only going to happen as you and I follow Jesus let's pray dear God we're so thankful today for the food you've given us to eat and for this place to worship you we thank you God for electricity we thank you God that we can read we thank you God for our families we thank you God for our healing we thank you, God, that you, you found us and you saved us and uh, that we have a great and glorious new future in front of us. And God, forgive us as we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And forgive us as we have allowed for things like human slavery to human trafficking to thrive while we were distracted with other things. But God, move us away from, move us from guilt and move us from feeling bad about things and being distracted. Move us out now, God, into our communities. Breathe your Holy Spirit in and through us and with us. Help us, God, to be your voice. Help us, God, to be your hands. Help us, God, to be your people in this desperately broken world. And we will follow you, God, into the homes of the broken. We will follow you, God, into our own families. We will follow you, God, into the dangerous places and we'll follow you, God, into the, into the great and beautiful places as well. And we give you all the glory and all the honor because it's from you, it's for you, it's to you, it's because of you, and it's not about us. It's about you and it's about what who you are. It's about what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.